I think uh, a lot of people are confused by trust. They don't really understand what that is. So I'm going to tell you it depends. Yeah. So there are different types of trusts, okay? The three easy ways to think about it is there's an inter vivos trust, which is one that you create during your lifetime while you're alive. There's a testamentary trust, and that's one that's created in your will. So the minute you die, boom, that trust is technically established at that point. And then there's revocable trusts. So trusts shield your assets from probate because if it's in trust, it doesn't go through your personal probate at that time. But probate is also a great vehicle to take things into the estate and put it into trust. So if you have a trust that's created under a will, your executor, who's the person in charge to handle everything, is going to grab all your assets and then take all those assets from your estate and deliver them to the trust. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook, the podcast where we welcome business leaders, CEOs, and industry experts to discuss the rise to the top, building wealth, and real estate insights. Here's your host, Jeremy Spann. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook. For more information on this show, go to myexperiencedrealtor.com. That's experience with an ED. Click on podcast and you can scroll down to this episode, other episodes on all the different platforms, YouTube, you name it. And if you're looking to buy and sell real estate anywhere on the planet, go to the homepage, click find a trusted professional, and we'll make sure we get you connected with somebody that actually will look after your interests instead of looking after their own self-interest. But we're not here to talk about real estate today. We are here with my friend, Jonathan Berry. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Man, I appreciate you coming. Well, my father-in-law said whenever I was going to get this show started in the beginning, he goes, you must do a joke. So I intentionally do bad jokes, right? So are you ready for the joke, Jonathan? Considering I've got two and one on the way, I need another dad You need joke. one? Okay. Well, this one I found fitting, not only for your industry, but because you do have a third on the way, which is, what did the lawyer name his daughter? Objection? Sue. Uh-huh. Ah, that was good. <laughs> so for the audience, and I know Jonathan has been dying to tell this story, let's tell the audience of how we met and how we got connected. Because it was about man, it was about ten years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, ten ten or eleven. Yeah, so I was a member of the Fort Worth Club, still am a member, but was at the Fort Worth Club having lunch. And I sit down at the tables in the athletic center. And for those of you that don't know, the one thing that's really cool about the Fort Worth Club and how it generates camaraderie is you have these big round tables that hold 12 people. There's no assigned seating, and you just sit, and you're going to sit next to whoever's there. So I sit down at this table, and this loud-mouthed Marine who has just started his EMBA sits down and says to the gentleman sitting next to me, he goes, man, you got to tell me, who the fuck is this Jonathan Barry?" <laughs> And I'm kind of quiet, not thinking anything, because no one has ever sat down at a table and not known who I was and then asked who I was. And I timidly raised my hand, worried I'm about to get beat up. And I go, well, uh, that's me. <laughs> and Jeremy goes, man, everyone talks about you. I've been ne- meaning to meet you. Can we go have a beer? <laughs> I said, sure. I think this is great. Yeah. And our friendship has blossomed ever since then. That's it. In, in fact, it was uh, the first person I remember talking about you was the prince. It was. So, and I think that's actually who was at the table. It was yeah. Sir Todd Miller was Sir sitting next Todd to me. Sir Todd Miller. Yeah, yeah. Sir Todd Miller. That was kind of funny. And then so, uh, especially for the audiences, at the time, I was still with Fort Worth PD, uh, but always still had my entrepreneur itch and, had, you know, had little tiny businesses here and there. And when I joined the Fort Worth Club was to expand my network, Right. And then I meet Jonathan because everybody kept saying Jonathan Berry, Jonathan Berry, Jonathan Berry, Jonathan Berry. And I was like, who is this guy? Like, and it sounds like he knows everybody and their sister. And so then I'm literally doing that because as anybody that's listened to the show knows that, you know, I'm, I'm very appropriate about things. I would say appropriate, not so much, but intentional, yes. It, it was intentional. It was, <laughs> I think just the timing was perfect because there are only two ways that introduction can go. And either I've done something terribly wrong and I'm about to go in an alley with a guy or 
there's about to be someone who's going to meet me who knows a million other people, and I am on the list of his people to know. And so, thankfully, I didn't get taken to the alley that day. <laughs> Everybody always says stuff like that about me. Do I really come off as that guy that's going to go, like, it's, take people out to the woodshed? It's not you. It was totally your timing on everything. Oh, the timing, the timing. Because I have a lot of people go, yeah. And I think, so it's really funny. It's one of my guests I've had on here was my former executive coach, Tony Ford. And uh, he had said, he, he, I remember we were sitting there doing um, one of our, our weekly meetings, and he goes, hey, don't move. And I was like, yeah, what's up? And he pulls up his cell phone, and he takes a picture of me, and turns around and shows it to me. He goes, you are so intense all the time that this is what you look like. And I was like, oh, that, that looks pretty bad, I guess. And he goes, your intensity at even its lowest intensity – is still higher than everybody else's highest intensity. And it was just, I was like, really? I was like, man, all right, well. Eh. Well, I will say we also probably set a record that day for the table in the Fort Worth Club because with you, myself, and Todd Miller, we probably had three of the loudest individuals at one time. Oh, table. yeah, 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 yeah. And I think between the three of us, we probably knew 80% of Fort Worth. Oh, I'm 92? 92%. <laughs> so... For the audience, let's talk about where, you know, where'd you grow up? Where'd you come from? You know, let's go through your journey to how you got to what you're doing today and everything else. Okay. So I am not a native Texan and I hate to let people know that. I know. I remedied that by going to the original state institution of Texas A&M University. Another Aggie. Another Aggie. I grew up in a small town in Southwest Kansas that was eight miles north of Oklahoma and 30 miles east of Colorado that had 346 people. And then my parents, when I was in sixth grade, between my sixth and seventh grade year, moved to Weatherford, Texas. So went to Weatherford, graduated Weatherford High School, went to A&M, met my beautiful wife of soon to be three children. I'm going to stop right there and just say, if there's anybody that ever outpunted their coverage, that is you. That's true. Like, she was. I, she's an athlete at A and M. She was a presidential scholarship award winner. She was a BIMS major. She got her master's in epidemiology in five years, uh, or the, her fifth year at A and M. So in five years, she got her bachelor's and master's. And she is currently all but dissertation for a PhD in biostatistics. Yeah. And she runs a household. And she runs and works out, and she's a beautiful lady who puts up with my crap. So what? She lose it? Did she? Did she lose a bet or what? How did that? Maybe. How did that work? How so did that work? What I learned is the single goal in life is to find a yes, and then once they say yes, to just keep moving forward. Right. So. <laughs> I, I, I say the same thing about Laura. You know, she tries to say, "Well, I was drunk," and I was just like, "Yeah, but there's an annulment period for ninety days that you didn't take advantage of, and you weren't drunk for ninety days." <laughs> What's even better is this was consented agreed upon, and 100% sober decision that she made. Uh, now, y'all met because of the, the Lutheran church or Correct. something like so that, right? We we met in Aggie Lutherans. Um, yeah. We were both members, went to church together. Um, I was one of the weirdos that went to the 830 service. I mean, what kind of college kid goes to an 830 service on Sunday? The ones that are also in the library studying. Uh, that wasn't me either. <laughs> I worked, I worked full-time while I went to college. So I worked at Albertsons, worked all the way from... Uh, customer service representative to dairy manager to working in the pharmacy is where I finished. And that got me on to my career. But so we did. We met at Aggie Lutherans. It was a good fit, a match made in heaven. And we've been married 16 and a half years and have and a, a seven-year-old, wow. a three-year-old, and a young daughter-to-be in April, um, April 23rd. Wow, man. Look at you growing up with a family. So I was just in Colorado in Fort Collins this last weekend because my baby girl just turned 21. Did she get the Jeremy Spann celebration? No, because I was I, I had just been incredibly sick for a week where I lost 15 pounds in five days. I had some stomach parasite that was just killing me. And, and here I was going to say you're looking fit and trim. No, 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 no. So if you ever want to uh, like execute a New Year's resolution to lose weight, just go get whatever I had, and it'll it'll fast forward like you know the first like six months of your diet plan, right? And so actually it was kind of funny, and we were talking about this on one of the recordings yesterday. Is so with my fund, we have a team meeting every Monday, 
And I had told everybody last week, I was like, man, I was really under the weather, really not feeling good. But, you know, I'm still cranking out 80-hour weeks. And then when we were on the Zoom, they were like, Jesus Christ, man, when you said you were sick, you clearly did not articulate like you, you, you look like you've been smoking meth or something. Like what is wrong? You can see like my my jawline and everything else. And really glad and, that life insurance policy is enforced. By the yeah, way. I appreciate that. Thank you because that thing almost got checked in last week. So then on Friday, we left Pagosa and we went to Fort Collins. And and I was, naturally, I was still working and I was trying to get some rest so that way we could. Because all I want to do is take my daughter and her friends out on Saturday, the day of her birthday, and uh, we went to a nice steakhouse. And uh, so I had a cocktail because I wanted to have, basically I wanted to have a legal drink with my daughter that I know she's probably been doing illegally since she was 15, right? But So so what uh, was your cocktail of choice? Because oh, come on, you know. Well, so oh. through COVID, yeah. I learned 174 different cocktails because what? we had both kids at home, had to separate the day. We're both working from home. We're, Emily's working on school too. And we had to juggle the kids. So we were working long half days. And I said, we're going to institute the 4 o'clock cocktail hour. So oh, we wow. did. And I learned 174 different cocktails. I wanna, I, so my, my, my go-to, like I'm a whore for old fashions, if it's a good old fashioned. And I just love an, an old fashioned. Okay, what, do you do the old fashioned with rye or do you do it with Oh, bourbon? I'm a rye guy. I love rye. What is your rye of choice? Oh, man, you know, that Angel's Envy rye is pretty nice. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a task. Let, let, all right, let's hear it. What you do you need got? to have the Angel's Envy rye with the Girl Scout shortbread cookies. It will change your life. What? Yes. Huh? Tell me about this magical unicorn you speak of. So somewhere, sometime, we found a bourbon and Girl Scout cookie pairing. What? And it is amazing. Basil Hayden's and Thin Mints changed my life forever. Oh, man, I love Basil Hayden, too. I am, man, I am a sucker for the brown stuff, right? And uh, which is really funny because it used to be, I mean, I've always been a Middleton's guy, right? And, uh, and so I recall all, a bottle of Middleton's that yeah. was delivered upon my law school graduation. That's right. I thought that was a great accomplishment that deserved a great bottle of booze i i have just a little bit left yeah a little bit left well, i got about 17 empty ones sitting in my house up in colorado <laughs> like somebody will come in uh so like our eo forum we did our retreat up at my house in pagosa back in august and uh the guys got up there and they were like you got like four bottles of middletons i was like man i really love that stuff and they were like that's like $1,500 worth of booze right there. And I was like, it is really, it's like angels crying on your tongue. Do you still have your special locker of it at the Fort Worth Club? Maybe. I, I don't, you know, what's really funny is, so for me, COVID changed everything in, in a good way, right? But everything that's a blessing is also a curse and everything that's a curse is also a blessing. So the blessing of, and when March of 2020 hit, we took Span Group to the next level. As a matter of fact, so they're coming out with the 2021 uh, production numbers for Fort Worth, and out of like 4,000 licensed agents, I'm sitting number six in production for all Fort Worth. Not because of anything I do, it's because I have the most incredible people that do the most incredible stuff. As a matter of fact, when we have a process with clients coming in now, right, we really, COVID allowed us to really create the processes for us to be even better. And so part of our process, I won't bore everybody with all the details, but when the handoff comes of me delivering the client to the team, because the team's going to take care of more, you know, people go, well, you don't do the contracts. I was like, man, I can't spell. You don't want me to do the contracts. And then they're just like, you don't show the houses. I was like, look, they, they, they're more of an eye for detail. And so we get through the zoom call of everybody, you know, who's who in the zoo, who does what, who performs what. And it's always funny because at the end of them, the clients are always like, so what do you do? And I was just like, I, I, get, I, get, I get you to the Zoom. And they were like, you, you have people that are clearly more talented than you. And I was like, that's why I hired them. Uh, and then it allowed me to get my fund up off the ground. And it just – so it absolutely exploded. But the trade-off is I just don't get to go to the place that I love as much as I like, which is Fort Worth Club. And, and so – it, so I do miss that. But what Jonathan is referring to is in, in years ago, God, it was like a... Wait, we need to preface yeah. this with yeah. the fact that Jeremy Spann is special. 
<laughs> and whatever normal people are allowed to do or whatever rules apply, none of that applies to Jeremy. Is, is that a, a, a fair statement? <laughs> I think people will just do it, so I'll stop talking. That, right? Okay. Yeah, fair enough, right? And, uh, and so Fort Worth Club, it's a private club. And, uh, a private business club. Private business club. And this is before the Davy O'Brien room. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when they added the other bar up there, so we had what was called the library, which is, you it's, know, where, it's the, where we went to drink. It, yeah. It was it, the big, bar. Yeah. It was the bar. And, and we were all young up and comers and we had like what? Eight Loud. of us. Yeah. And, uh, and so what was it like? I can't remember. It was like one Thursday out of the month, each month, we'd all go up there and For do the, the yeah, happy hour. steak dinner yeah. and happy hour, right? Because Thursday night was steak night or something like that, which, by the way. You got a bottle you, of wine for two. Yeah. And and, and so, but anyhow, um, uh, I can't remember who was the bar manager up there at the time, but I was like, hey, I'd really like some Middletons up here. And, uh, I bet it was Barbara. It might have been Barbara. I bet I it remember. was Barbara. It might have been. It was a long time ago. I can't even remember. But anyhow, is not only did they get the Middletons, but they had a private bottle behind a bar for me. And Jonathan was like, how is it that there are people that have been members here for 50 years, don't have their own bottles? And I was like, I don't know, man. Answer's always no unless you ask. So I asked. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just and it was just fun. You know, it was really kind of fun back then because we we didn't have the responsibilities we have today, right? And we were all up and comers, and we were younger. I was God, I was much who's, younger. Who's got responsibility now? I have n- no responsibility. Oh, stop it, stop it, Jonathan, stop it, stop it. Hey, so let's go back to this 177 cocktails. Is that what you said? Uh, yeah, I, I learned 100. So you literally found the end of the internet. No, researching so these. I didn't. I bought three books off of Amazon. Okay. And I'm going to give a plug to Death and Company, the bar. They've got three bars. Uh, one in New York, one in Denver, and one in L.A. And they have fantastic cocktail recipes, but they all ha- they have masterfully put together books. And their book that I relied on heavily is called The Cocktail Codex. Say that one more time. Cocktail. cocktail Codex. Because you're a Marine, I'm going to spell that. Yeah, That's you need C-O-D-E-X. to. C-O-D-E-X. C-O-D-E-X. So yeah. this book highlights the fact that there's really only five original cocktails. And every cocktail is a derivation of one of these original five cocktails. What? But what's even better is they've span-proofed it. They give you a picture. So you get a chart that shows what the original is. And if you change the ingredients or how you change it, what it becomes. What? It is fantastic. Man, I am – I am get, so I, I've really gotten – it was really funny. When I bought my house up in Pagosa, I didn't realize up until I was up there – how many other people I knew that had houses in Pagosa. And uh, and so I've got a friend of mine. Uh, he's a private equity guy down in Houston. Actually, I've been tr- trying to get him to get up here and get on this show. He's a fascinating guy. Fa- fascinating guy. His name's Todd Sims. Great guy. And so his house is, oh, I don't know, five minutes from my house. And we're both always going back and forth on cocktail stuff. And so I, Laura, and she's just, you know, my poor wife, you know, she's just like, I'm married to an idiot. Like this guy's always got to take shit to the next level. Right. <laughs> and so for Christmas, she got me the smoker. Oh. So it's like this little smoke gun. You put the, whatever you call it in there, you light it. And then the, it forces it into this wooden bottom, like cuttery board type thing. And then it's got this, you kind of like when you know that you would put over the old cakes, wow. the little glass tops. And so you put, I make the cocktail and then I put it in there and smoke it. And man, it is delicious. So like when my father-in-law and brother-in-law were up for Christmas, they were like, holy cow, man, that is delicious. Smoked sage margarita. Tell me more about that. So make a basic margarita. Okay. Okay. Make sure that you have the right limes. You don't want them too sweet when it comes to the sage. Okay. Okay. So good lime content. I and my margaritas don't like using simple syrup or triple sec. Yeah. I use Cointreau. Okay. But I use the $2 more a bottle Cointreau that is the brandy based. Yeah. And it's fantastic. You know who makes a mean margarita? Who? Schwartz. He makes, dude, so we would go out. And he would make these margaritas that were, even to this day, I have been 
Matter of fact, I, I, I'm almost at the point that I have a video of him from back in the day because he and I have been friends for like two decades. You know, he and I may and need I, to have a margarita challenge. I'm, I'm and down I for don't that. think it's Threaten fair. me with a good time. I don't think it's fair that you don't allow me to at least compete. A fair statement. Be, okay, fair statement. Fair statement. Margarita. And you know what? And I think that I am a perfect judge for cocktails. So, you know what? We should do this. And and so, but anyhow, I, I if Swartz has listened to this one right now, you remember that video out at the lake? If you don't give me your recipe, I'm going to put that shit on YouTube. Oh. <laughs> I don't know that I don't know that legally I need to be part of a blackmail incident. Hey, hey, lawyer, stop it. I'm just You're not on retainer. Plus I'm going to retain you. So that way you you have no choice but not to defend him. I I don't know. Yeah. I've got you on one side of the house. I don't know that I need you on both. Oh, no, come on now. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on now. So so Marguerite, so what are the five original cocktails? Um okay. So you have the daiquiri, the old-fashioned. Now you put me on the spot. The sidecar, which is really what a margarita is a derivation of, is the sidecar. Okay. A highball, and I always forget the fifth one. I think the fifth one's the martini. Okay. Which I shouldn't because I I tell people that bourbon and scotch are my wife. Yeah. But gin is my mistress because Ooh, I have I love... fallen in love with gin. Oh man, so I'm gonna I'm gonna come back and tell you my favorite gin story. Okay. But before that is Impagosa, it's just kind of a small town, right? You've got Old Town, which is downtown, and then you got Uptown, which is the new town, right? And uh but down in downtown they have a place called the Neon Mallard. Or as the locals and I like to feel like a local there, we call it the electric duck. And when you walk in, and so my 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 buddy Dawson, Matt Dawson, he he's a builder out there, and he called it right the other day. It's like you, you it looks so unassuming, right? It's got the big neon sign. It's um, in front of a motel, right? So it's also got motel rooms, but like old school motel rooms, right? Not 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 like you know a Section Eight or whatever Best Eight or Best Western, whatever those are. Well, you have to be. Yeah. You have to be careful because, you know, there's hotels and there's motels. Yeah. And you lose a lot of amenities when you change that H to an M. Oh, really? Like what? Like what amenities? Well, there, there's some that are added. I mean, you have the, mm. the quarter beds, I've heard, in the motels. Oh, yeah. So I haven't been, in, I haven't been, I haven't been inside any of the rooms. I've only been inside the bar, right? Okay. And when you Is walk in— Is this maybe a boutique hotel? No, no, no. It, it it was like an old, old style motel that they just came in and did a big renovation and just added some, made it retro, vintage, whatever you want to call it. So, oh, so let me tell you about this. So when you walk through the doors of the Neon Mallard, Dawson called it right as he said, it's like walking into a Pulp Fiction film. Oh. And, and so, and you got a mixologist in there. And man, so that's Laura and I's go-to place. Like when we want to do a little date night and kind of get away, because not a lot of restaurants in Pagosa. There's probably about like 15 restaurants, you know, and, uh, you know, so it's not, not, not like, I mean, you're up there mainly for the outdoors, not anything else, but you go in there and we'll get a cocktail and it's just always a good, good cocktail, right? It's just fun environment. So, so, that, so when I hear cocktails, I'm just like, I think of that place every single time, right? But I got to tell you my gin story. Are you ready for this? So uh, when my daughter graduated high school, we took her to Europe for a month. And we were all over the place, right? So we we were in Dubrovnik, uh, uh, Croatia, right? Because I wanted to go see where the Game of Thrones was filmed and all of that. And, uh, and I wanted to The story can't end well starting in <laughs> Dubrovnik, actually, Croatia. Actually, it was, it was, actually, it was great. Uh, and then so – Plus, you know, also during my time in the Marines, you know, we were, you know, you had everything going on over there in Bosnia and all the wars and everything else, uh, or as they still like to call it, the war inside the war. And, uh, and you could still see on some of the buildings, you know, where, you know, the the rounds had impacted and chips and everything else. So, yeah, there's this Michelin restaurant that overlooks the bay, whereas the castle that they film the Game of Thrones. And so, and it's called Nautica. And I'm a big, big, big Michelin fan, right? Matter of fact, we, we plan our trips around culinary, right? So we get there and we sit down and this guy, you know, this, this Croatian guy comes out, you know, my name's so-and-so and I'm here to serve you, blah, 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 or whatever he says. And he says, can I start you off with a cocktail? And I said, well, what do you recommend? And he goes, the gin and tonic. 
And I was like, is it good? He goes, it is the best gin and tonic. And I'm like, whoa, 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 hero. <laughs> you cannot make statements like that around me unless you can back that shit up, right? Because I'm, I, I hate when somebody goes, oh, mine's the best, right? Like, hey, don't use loose words, right? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, didn't we just so, have this conversation about margaritas? We did. We did. So he, he goes, I will show you. So this thing comes out on a platter in a birdcage, right? And then he takes off the birdcage. My mind is, is just going, what oh, the hell do you need a birdcage for? I know, for but it's the presentation. It's the experience <laughs> of it, right? And, you know, and they take off the birdcage. And you know those old perfume sprayers, yeah. right? So it's got pomegranate in it. So he sprays it around it. Then he takes some rosemary and beats it around on the glass. And he sits there and he's standing over me like, Try it, right? <laughs> and I take a drink, and I sat it down. I sat there for a second. I picked it up, and I had another sip of it. And I looked at him, and I said, sir, you were accurate. This is the best gin and tonic I've ever had in my entire life. And he was just like, told you. So after, you know, so we're going through dinner and I get through my gin and tonic and he comes back and he goes, would you like another gin and tonic? And I said, no way, no how, sir. And he goes, why not? I thought you said it was best. And I said, that thing was so good that I am not willing to take the risk that the second one would not be as good. I want to remember this one. And it was just, man. So I, you know, because a gin and tonic is a gin and tonic, right? I mean, it's really hard to make it really anything other than a regular gin and tonic, right? So well, I, well you're going to prove me wrong here. No, so no, let's no, let's no. hear. It's let's hear. It's funny that hear. you say this because the Japanese do highballs exceptionally well. Okay, for the audience who are not alcohol people, what is a highball? A highball is scotch and tonic, usually with a splash of lemon. So it is very similar to a gin and tonic, just replacing the gin with a scotch, you're replacing the lime with a lemon. Okay? The Japanese have a particular ice temperature that they use, and they stir it 12 and a half times counterclockwise. Okay. Think about that for a minute. This cocktail is made with stirring directions. Why? Because the Japanese are perfectionists. So what's the difference between clockwise and counterclockwise? I don't know. It has to do something with the temperature of the ice melting and how the ice melts. Really? Yes. Have you ever seen that that show, Booze Traveler? I have not. Oh. But that that that's, we're going to have to talk about that for another time because you have yet yeah. to have a single Jonathan Berry cocktail. Well, well, I've had cocktails at your house. Have you had a new signature professional Jonathan Berry cocktail? I have not. All right. I have not. So I'm going to have to get – I'm going to have to come over. All right. So what would you say if it was the end of the world, there's five minutes left, and you have access to every single booze there is, but you only have time to have one last drink before the world annihilates, what do you get? Probably what do you reach for? Of the, uh, a 50-year scotch. A 50 – okay. Which one? Oh. Mm-hmm. If I could find it, the Glen Rothes, because I am a Glen Rothes. Is that, that's person. the one that, that that's you. That's the short, fat, round bottle that I What's bought. the one that you graciously allowed me to have? Okay, this, involved, was... this involves a story. So okay. that was the Royal and Ancient House Scotch. My brother went over to Scotland. He was supposedly studying abroad, and he was definitely not studying while he was over there. <laughs> Went to the St. Andrews. There was a pub off of the Royal and Ancient Course at St. Andrews, Scotland, that had an association of former stickers. My brother's an Aggie as well. So he goes in and he puts his hand on the bar. You can hear my Aggie ring tap. Yeah. And the bartender looked and saw the Aggie ring and was the owner who was also an Aggie. And what? His, his dad, during World War II, something happened. All of the kids there in Scotland went to A&M. Okay. That's at least the story I've heard. I have not verified that. But he looks at my brother and he goes, what can I get you? And my brother goes, I'll take a house beer. And he goes, no, no, no. What did you come for? What can I give you that you could take away with you? And he says, well, I'm not really into scotch, but I'd like a scotch that people can't get for my brother. 
which is one of the nicest things he's ever done for me. So the guy goes, wait right there. What we didn't know was that the bartender was also a bartender at the Royal and Ancient. And the Royal and Ancient is a very prestigious club and gentleman's organization within Scotland. And you realize they're part of the UK, so they have peerage and other things. So it's very hard to get into, and there's only 200 members. So it's a very exclusive group. He went over to the Royal and Ancient, came back to my brother and handed him a bottle of the Royal and Ancient Scotch, said, you need to take this up to your room, wrap it, hide it, then come back and we can talk. And my brother's like, okay, whatever. He's, you know, 22 year old who's been backpacking through Europe for six weeks. So he goes and puts it in his room, comes back, sits down, and the bartender says, let me explain something to you. This is the housemaid scotch, whiskey that they call it over there. We call it mm. scotch. He said, this whiskey is made exclusively for the club. It is a small batch whiskey that goes to some of the most notable people who are members at the club. It's all they drink. There's only 200 bottles a year that are made. Two cases of that goes to the winner of the Open, or the British Open as we call it here, in golf. The remainder stays at the club. You have a scotch that unless you win the U.S. Open, you will not have otherwise. Wow, wow, wow. That is that is one of the coolest scotches I have. Yeah, I remember us sitting on your front patio. Is this when you were trying to convince me not to go to law school and to do the executive MBA program at TCU? I mean, I'm not going to say that that conversation did or did not happen, but <laughs> so, so, all right. So we've talked scotch, we've talked cocktails. We haven't talked insurance or law. We're or getting to that <laughs> because, you know, and that's the thing I love about this show though, right? Is when, when you're talking, it just, the conversations just open up, right? And, and well, you but that's get, because of you. No, no, I bring interesting people on here. Like if this thing was about me, it would be over in five episodes. I don't know. You were you were <laughs> close to being the most interesting man in the world. Okay. Now, look, flattery, flattery will get you nowhere, Jonathan. I'm, I'm not flattering. You have oh, some experiences that most people don't, and you wind up <laughs> in awkward situations <laughs> with very famous people that – there are there are like ten people that I know that wind up and they're like, oh yeah, I was sitting in a bar and Warren Buffett came into Saturday. <laughs> and I was like, wait, you were what? Where? It was at Campisi's. So, I, I think that you have this knack for creating opportunities, but these opportunities sometimes awkwardly fall in your lap. You, you know, you know, you know what I think it is. I think I am cable TV for God. <laughs> right I, I am the comedy channel for god and he's just like you know what you know what? i think i'm gonna put him in a room with rick perry longest reigning governor of texas just to see how that shit goes right <laughs> you know or you know or or you know when the commandant of the marine corps general neller came in for cowtown warriors and uh he and i were sitting here talking and he just said yeah it would have been really interesting to have you working for me <laughs> and i was just like well I have a feeling that you're so savvy, you would have caught me on what I was doing, and I would have been a Lance Corporal like 15 times. <laughs> he goes, that's the point, right? And so, but no, thank you. That's, that's, a, very, that's a very nice compliment, and I appreciate that. So you, 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 you come back up here to Fort or you come to Fort Worth, back up here to the area, right? So and, I came back up to Fort Worth after we graduated. Um, I did, as I like to call it, my victory lap. So I did five years. Was still working with Albertsons at the time. My wife had gotten a job with the Baylor Hospital System, running a program for them. And I was looking for a job. I'd applied to dental school. After having really good test results, I did not get an interview. I'd applied to pharmacy school, did not get an interview. So God wanted me somewhere else, evidently. I was working in the pharmacy at Albertsons. This gentleman came in. His reading glasses had broke. I sold him a new pair of reading glasses, saw his Aggie ring. He liked my attitude and personality. He offered me a job at his investment firm. Little did I know that his investment firm was under the MetLife umbrella. So I became a life insurance salesman. I did this for three and a half years. And there are two gentlemen in town that offered me an opportunity and said, do you want to come work with the big boys? And I said, well, <laughs> sure, not knowing quite what it would entail. They were independent, and they did a lot of really advanced planning. 
high-end net worth, estate planning to mitigate estate tax, a lot of business planning, things that you do with life insurance that you don't do in the typical realm. And they said, you can come on board, but you also have to learn how to be a consultant because you can write with anyone. You're not selling anything. You're trying to solve a problem. I said, okay. One first piece of advice in business that was good. So I worked with them for about three years, and one of the gentlemen, Phil Moranesso, who I've known since I was a kid, went to church with him. He said, you know, I want to give you some advice. He said, Jonathan, the day that your client outgrows you, they don't have any use for you anymore. And you Tell the audience what that means, outgrows you. Well, so I think it can mean several different things, okay? In our instance, there's a step to go from being a salesman to being a consultant, But then there's a step to go from being a consultant to being a planner and an advisor, okay? When you're dealing with large estates and mitigating estate tax, you have an attorney that's involved, you have an accountant that's involved, and everyone's on the team trying to solve the common goal, okay? And you have to put, you know, check your pride at the door, especially when you're the life insurance guy that shows up with an attorney and an accountant and they look at you and say, oh, what are you going to sell my client today? And you laugh and you go, well, you invited me to the meeting, so I'm just here to help you solve the problem. But when your client no longer needs your services because you're not advanced enough or you haven't learned enough or you haven't grown enough to help them when they get a bigger problem, they don't need you anymore. They're going to have to go find someone that can solve that bigger problem. Give, give us an example of problem. So when you say – I mean I know that's a wide variety of things, but a few examples. Well, let me, let me give you an example of maybe an accreditation step along the way that kind of explains this, okay? Mm-hmm. Anyone, regardless of whether or not they went to college, can go take a group one life insurance exam and sell life insurance, okay? You understand what the basics of life insurance is, how it's designed to work, and how you use it in everyday, you know, I need to cover a mortgage, I need to cover my income, I need to protect my family, okay? When you get to a family that's worth $200 million, there's not a question if they have an estate tax The question is, how much is their estate tax going to be? And if there's a business involved, you have a liquidity issue. So not only now are you trying to use life insurance for the leverage that you get, but you have to plan around four or five different sections of the internal revenue code to make sure that you don't have them have a higher tax than what they're already due. So it involves making sure that the life insurance is out of their estate, that if it's in a trust and they're gifting things, that the gifts are done appropriately. And there are special ways and a private split dollar is one that that people have probably heard of or may. And it's, it's a contractual agreement. So you are adding seven to 10 different facets of a life insurance transaction that go beyond the life insurance. Okay, you're adding a tax implication, you're adding gifting, you're going to have trusts involved. So there's a lot larger scope of what you're doing than, hey, I'm just here to sell you a life insurance policy. Okay, When we had talked about this, the first thing that I looked at was getting lovely initials after my name, which all insurance guys do. And one of those is AEP. It's called an accredited estate planner. Well, the accredited estate planner requires an estate attorney and an estate accountant sign off on your accreditation after you've taken the classes and the test. So I said, okay, this is what I need to do. I want to work with these people. I want them to know that I'm qualified and understand the big level problems beyond just, hey, I need a life insurance policy. And I started looking at the classes. And the classes lined up with classes that you would take in law school. And I'm being a clever guy and never backing down from a challenge and may have had someone once say, well, if you think you're so smart, maybe you should go to law school. Challenge accepted. But the classes lined up very similarly to with what, you know, what I was going to do in law school is the same thing as the AEP. But at the end of the day, being a lawyer means that I can bill and do other things. And if tax law changes or life insurance efficiency changes or something changes within that, I still have another career option available for me. Because things in tax law are constantly changing. How we treat life insurance is constantly changing. And at the whim of any government that comes in, if they need tax money or they want to change something, they're going to play with the estate tax. We know that. That's just how it operates. Now, they haven't changed it. They haven't decreased it yet. We'll see what happens. But it's always on the bargaining table when they start their tax plans for, oh, we need money because we're in debt. We spent too much as a government. Where do we get the money from? And so because of that, I went to law school and said, okay, this is what I need to do to advance my career. I need to understand what's going on beyond just life insurance and went to law school uh, part-time in the evening. I was the 
second class at A&M's law school. I was the second to last evening class. So remember, it was funny. I didn't get into dental school. I didn't get into pharmacy school. And I struggled the whole way there. I took the entrance exam for law school a couple times to make sure I had a good score. LSAT, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. Took it three times, improved all three times, applied, and two weeks I was accepted. So God has a funny way of making sure you go where you need to go. And for some reason, he wanted me in law school. So 2014, started in August of 2014, graduated in December of uh, 2017, took the bar in February of 18 passed the bar and um, got my official results May 4th of 2018. And since then, it's been history. Magical. Well, and it's, you know, it's funny. And I don't know if you run into this, but people always question your competency. And when I was a life insurance guy coming in the room, working on some of these bigger cases, the attorney and the accountant were always skeptical. They always kind of looked at me with that leering eye, like, what are you doing? I really don't feel like you belong here. Mm Mm-hmm. And you put those JD on the back of your card and they can see, hey, you're an attorney and the entire conversation changes. Yes. My competency didn't necessarily change as far as the life insurance was concerned. Yeah. My credibility changed and it changed the whole direction of how it works. Man, no, I couldn't agree with you more. Like even getting my MBA from TCU, it was, hey, whoa, you have an MBA. And I was like. Yeah. I mean, I think other people make maybe a bigger deal out of it than I do. I was there to learn a language, right? Business language. Just like you were there to learn a language, legalese, right? <laughs> and, and and so or or as often like what I, when my daughter was leaving for college, she's like, I don't want to I don't know what I want to major in, blah, blah, blah. And I said, it doesn't really matter what you major in. I said, because go to school to learn how to learn. Yep. Go get a graduate degree to learn what questions are the right questions to ask, right? And so I'm I'm not incredibly smart. I once had one of the best backhanded compliments given to me by our friend, Mr. Devonport, and he said, "You're just too stupid to know you can't do something." <laughs> yeah, and it it it. I mean, yeah. he he's right. You know, I yeah. stick with things. I start something and I work hard and I'm too stupid to realize that most people couldn't do it or wouldn't do it or wouldn't expend the effort on it. How, how long did it take to do the the law degree part time? I did it in three and a half years. I was Jeez, pushing it. man. That and, is because normal law school is three years, correct, right? Correct. Wow. Um, and we had our first daughter born halfway between my first and second semester in law school. So why do part-time versus full-time? I still had to work. Still had to make a living. But, I mean, still it sounds like you're taking just as many hours as the full-time. Well, they call it part-time. It's really three-quarter time. So as a full-time law student, you take roughly 17 to 20 hours. Per semester? And I was taking 12 to 15. Okay. And what I did is I took winter semesters and I buckled up in the summer. So I yeah. was basically a year-round student where – Law school is designed in the summers now, especially for kids. You know, people are coming out of college. They haven't worked. They're coming out, finishing in April. They're taking an internship from May to July. Yeah. So they're going and doing internships where I was just studying, studying, You still studying. paying for that damn thing? Yeah. I joke with people with my vacation home is, uh, I think it's 1515 Commerce is what I call it. Right across from the water gardens. Beautiful water views. So, so that in 2020, we paid off. Laura's law degree and my MBA, and it was just this, you know, even though it's not high interest or anything else, but it was just, man, education's so expensive, even more expensive now, right? Mm-hmm. Where there it, it was just this feeling of freedom to have that thing paid off. It is. It's hard because there's a huge debate today in education, which I'm sure you hear about is, is education worth it? Are the degrees worth it? And I met someone the other day, And I'm not going to say where I met them or what the conversation, but they had a degree in Russian gay literature from a liberal arts college. Okay. Say that one more time. So like Russian gay literature. Okay. And it was, it was a, it was a PhD. So they're very qualified. They're very smart. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, they lost that point that you were telling your daughter where college teaches you to learn and then your graduate degree is to help you hone that. Yeah. There's a very small marketable opportunity for someone who has a PhD in Russian gay literature. Right. So 
I think that professional schools, for the most part, are worth it. There are some schools where you go to. I, I have a buddy that's an orthodontist, uh, one of my best friends. He did fine. He went to the University of Oklahoma. He has an awesome practice. But there are people that he knows that are colleagues that went and had almost a million dollars worth of debt from going to dental school and orthodontic school. And their interest alone is more than what they're making now because of how the practice has changed. Yeah. Okay. So I think a lot of it's about understanding who you are, what you're doing, and living within those confines. But people ask me all the time. They say, hey, do you think law school is worth it? Yes. Do I have debt from it? Yes. Am I going to pay it off? Yes. I look at what I'm able to do, and I I have a law practice as well. And so I have my insurance practice. I have a law practice. If it wasn't for my law practice, COVID would have been incredibly hard because the insurance market, as far as life insurance, Mm. shut down completely. You have something that is based upon people dying. You have to take a physical exam or a medical exam to do it, and it requires you to see people. Insurance companies said, we're not taking applications. We're halting everything. We're not not issuing policies. We don't know what this is going to look like. And I had my law degree, and I'm, I'm referral only. I have been. I'm fortunate that I have at least two to three times a day my phone is ringing for something. There were people that were mad. They were worried. There were contract issues. There were still people dying, so we still needed probate. So I was able to use my law degree and continue to maintain my insurance practice through that doldrum that we had because I did have the law degree. So it was it was, it was was a blessing for me to have it. So – why keep the insurance practice and just not focus on the law? I enjoy working on hard problems. Okay. And it, it's different. So people ask me this all the time. They're like, well, don't you want to do one or the other? Okay. As an attorney, and, and you know this because you've paid a lot of attorney's fees, which I hear you complain about a lot. <sighs> Donald, it's a, you better buy a new house soon. It's a billable hour. Yeah. And you can't get away from the billable hour. You can only raise your rate. Or hire employees and use it as one of the greatest Ponzi schemes in the world. And I joke, but law practices are designed that partners get the benefit of having a foundation, bringing in more work than they can handle, and having other people handle it that you're paying a salary to. Yeah. Okay? That's what associates are there for. That's also their place to learn. Yeah. And you need to do that. My insurance practice is driven by a commission payment. I'm paid for the life insurance policy I put in place. But that means I have to go through all the steps of putting a life insurance policy in place. I have to go through the health exam. We have to get through underwriting. We have to make sure that it's qualified. And then at the end of the day, people have to still make sure that the decision they told me they wanted to make 8 to 12 months ago, they still want to pay the premium when the premium comes due. Yeah. And all along the way, too, we have to fit it in the box for does it go into a trust? Is it owned individually? Is the business owning? How do we make sure that we don't incur a greater estate tax on it by having it in the estate? How do we make sure that all the pieces fit? Is the attorney okay with it? Is the accountant okay with it? So there's a lot of moving parts to it. So it takes a lot of work. The other thing that happens is when you're working on big estate planning cases, the life cycle is probably 18 to 24 months. Okay. So I'm working on something now that I started nine months ago that I still may not see a paycheck for 12 months. Mm. Okay. I love being able to do that. It's a very complex problem. It pays well when it pays. But it's one of those that you got to step up to the plate every time and strike out knowing that the odds are you're going to hit these base hits and then you're going to hit a two-bagger and hit a three-bagger. And then every once in a while, you're going to hit a home run, which keeps you going and you keep working along. So the other thing, too, is that the insurance and the law complement each other on the back end, too. So my insurance practice is primarily a state and probate. So I do the wills and the planning ahead of time. But I also do probate, which is everything that happens in a court after you die. And understanding the process of what happens after you die through the court system, all of the things that you have to do helps you really appreciate life insurance and how it operates in the front end. So this is a good segue. And I know we could probably spend 15 episodes on this topic alone is trust. Okay. How does trust affect probate? I think Um, a lot of people are confused by trust. They don't really understand what that is. So I'm going to tell you it depends. So there are different types of trusts. Okay. The three easy ways to think about it is there's an inter vivos trust, which is one that you create during your lifetime while you're alive. There's a testamentary trust, and that's one that's created in your will. So the minute you die, boom, that trust is technically established at that point. And then there's revocable trusts. So 
trusts shield your assets from probate because if it's in trust, it doesn't go through your personal probate at that time. But probate is also a great vehicle to take things into the estate and put it into trust. So if you have a trust that's created under a will, your executor, who's the person in charge to handle everything, is going to grab all your assets and then take all those assets from your estate and deliver them to the trust. Okay? So that's a testamentary trust. The inter vivos trusts are typically um, are irrevocable trusts that you create. You create them for a special reason, and you seed it with either an asset or money, and it is irrevocable, and it is a gift that you're making. So it plays into the amount that you're allowed to give either per year or over your lifetime. So you have a lot of different facets to all those trusts, and they're all taxed differently too. So a testamentary trust doesn't exist until you die. You don't have any tax implications on it, okay? A revocable trust is a see-through trust. It's not protected for creditors or or people who are coming after you. And it's under your social security number. So you're not paying the trust income tax brackets, okay? And irrevocable inter vivos trust that you've gifted assets into, depending on how the trust operates and what the trust document says, it's going to be taxed as a trust if it's not a grantor trust, and the, the trust itself, when you look at income tax brackets for a trust, are severely condensed. I think, and I, you'd have to pull up the tables. I don't have a table in front of me. I want to say at about $15,000 of income that remains in the trust, you're already at the 39% tax bracket. So you have to understand what you have, what the purpose of having it is, and why you're using it. So the great way to think about it is think about – the trust from this standpoint, and it'll kind of help you decipher it. So revocable trusts, I tell people are typically gun trusts, antique trusts, maybe a trust that you have on a home or a second home. It helps you avoid probate in other states. So if you have a residence in Colorado, say Pagosa Springs, you put that in a revocable trust. When you die, it becomes irrevocable. It pulls it into Texas probate versus having Colorado probate where you don't have to go through two court proceedings. And most states have what we call an ancillary probate where they allow a will that's been probated elsewhere to be admitted to their court to transfer the property. Okay. So revocable trusts are used for things that may change quite a bit. They can move in and out where what's in the trust is going to change over time, if you will. Okay. A testamentary trust. I tell people to think if you have kids and you died and they were minors, you're going to put things in trust for them, but you don't necessarily need the trust for them unless you die. Okay, so a miner's trust is a great way to think of a a testamentary trust. You're going to put things in trust for your kids. They're not going to have direct access to it. You're going to have someone overseeing it. You're still taking care of your kids, but you're protecting them down the way. And then an inter vivos trust or a trust that's created right now is typically for, I'm going to say estate tax purposes. There are a lot of other reasons, but when you think about it, say, I'm going to have a tax bill that comes due when I die. I want to get something out of my estate to lower that tax bill. I'm going to gift it into the trust. Whomever the beneficiaries are still going to get the benefit and use of that, but it's going to be kept in trust. And if it grows and appreciates in that trust, it's not going to affect my tax bill. So for more clarity for the audience, let's say, so Maggie, right? So she is the, something happens to me, she is the trust or right, trustee. She is the beneficiary. Beneficiary. So the so you have the executor, the beneficiary, the trustee. Was the trustee? The is, trustee is is the gatekeeper and the person that controls and manages the assets. Okay. okay. So the person for whom the benefit of the trust is, let's say it's Maggie. Mm-hmm. You've probably put someone responsible in charge mm-hmm. and said, "Look, she can have, let's say, him's health, education, maintenance, and support. If it's for school, shelter." For education or for medical reasons, you give her whatever she needs. Mm-hmm. But if she wants a new car, she's got to either meet some qualifications or go talk to the trustee. And the trustee is the gatekeeper that has the document that you've left that says, this is what I want you to do with the money and how you distribute it. And the trustee says, yes, it's within my power. Go get a new car. Or no, you don't need a new car. You have a nice car now. Go ahead and go on your way. Okay. So what does the executor do? The executor's job is solely in probate, and they're the ones that admit the will to probate, and they transfer the assets from the person who had passed away, the deceased, from their estate to wherever they're going. And that may be directly to beneficiaries, or it may be to a trust. Okay. So, yeah, we could we could 
we could dive into just episodes and episodes on that because I think it's a very complex thing that a lot of people don't understand. There's a reason lawyers do that. But uh, – and I mean in a good way. That wasn't a dig. It was just because it is very, very complicated. So you got a new one on the way. But let's talk about your firstborn. Okay. If you're okay. I'm 100% yeah. okay talking yeah. about it. So talk about the difference between your kid and everybody else's kid. So uh, – by the way, this happened in law school, and I had the dean of the law school, dean of students said, if something bad or different is going to happen, it's going to happen while you're in law school. And I will attest to that because my daughter initially was born, so she was born on Christmas Day. She was five weeks early, and they came in because they noticed one of her eyes was cloudy. And so fortunate for us, my wife is part of the UT Southwestern health system. So we delivered in Dallas. So people in Tarrant County, please excuse the fact that my <laughs> children were born on the other side of 360. Um, so she was born, they realized that she had glaucoma. They had children's ophthalmology was right there because they're part of the UT Southwestern system uh, with the learning and the teaching. They came in and they examined her and at 19 days, she had her first surgery to correct the glaucoma. So we knew that she had the glaucoma and there was an eye issue. Well, when she was, I guess, a year old, so it would have been in between kind of my, my second year of law school, we were in Santa Fe and we were staying with some good friends of ours who are both physicians and she had a high fever one day and then had a seizure. Well, after her seizure, it looked like she had had a stroke because half of her body just had the droopiness, the eye, and it scared us to death and rushed to the hospital. Fortunately for us, the couple we were staying with, she was an ER physician. She was there. They admitted her in and told us that it was Todd's paralysis. Todd or tots or Todd's, and I'm not medical, so I, I know what it sounded like. Yeah. Basically what happens is sometimes when you have a seizure, your brain takes a little bit to reset. And so it looked like she had had a stroke. They had to check for it with all the scans, but she hadn't had a stroke. It was just her brain resetting after the seizure. What they did find is they found a mass, and she has a, a tumor that's on her seventh facial nerve that's basically kind of right under, right behind her eye, kind of right under her brain. Again, another God thing, the pediatric ER physician that was at the hospital in Santa Fe was getting ready to retire was a staff physician at Children's in Dallas. So she could access all of our daughter's records at Children's in Dallas and got us in for appointments when we got back because they found the mass and we knew we had to go see specialists. What we learned is my daughter has a condition or disease called NF1 and it's neurofibromatosis 1. And she has a neurofibroma that has grown, which is a, a tumor that has a lot of fingers and a star-like. It's not a, a clean tumor where you have lines, but it's interwoven. Uh, but neurofibromatosis means that her body is prone to making tumors anywhere there's a nerve channel. So nerves in the skin, you can get bumps in, in some of these, or in the face and the brain, especially because there's nerves there. So she goes once a year now to her neurofibromatosis specialist, NF1 doctor who's at Children's. And we've been fortunate. God has taken great care of her. Her glaucoma is now under control or her pressure is normal in her eye. And then her tumor, we've had no growth or no change since they found it, which is fantastic. Uh, but so she has this, this unique condition that is, is scary. And, and once a year in October, I probably become angry and rude and a little bit mean because we have our scans and it's what the doctor calls scanxiety because mm. you never know, you know, it's been so long. You've been there a year. Everything's been going right. You don't want to go in and find out something's changed. But developmentally, it doesn't affect her. We're very fortunate from that. She has glasses and has a pretty strong prescription in the one eye that she had glaucoma in. Uh, but other than that, she is a vibrant young lady who is now a first grader at St. Andrews. That's awesome. That's where my daughter went. And then on to Nolan. Yeah, that's so – yeah, I can only imagine – how terrifying that can be it is it was know. it was a lot and i mean you think about it i'm running my business and i'm having to run it at about three quarter speed because you're I'm in law, law school. school i'm in law school yeah i have a newborn kid who now has health stuff where at least once a week we're at children's for any number of things i can only imagine the medical bills stacking up on that thing it just it's it, it was a long road and yeah. the fact i mean if it wasn't for the support of my wife and, you know, we have, we had a great foundation meeting again at Aggie Lutherans. So 
our values and our core and our foundation were there. And she's just she's just an awesome person, and you know this. Oh yeah. And so love I mean, Emily. She's a, she's an awesome human being. We had a good teamwork, and we work really well together because we aren't the same person. We're very different, but we have really good complement to each other. And then you know, family and friends, and just just kept going. So so do you do you ever sit around and and worry about like? how she will be affected in school because it's pretty, you know, someone looks at her and can say, Hey, wait a minute. You're, you don't look like the rest of the kids. So I don't. And I think part of that's my personality because yeah. I know how I've raised her yeah. and I, you know, I, I don't put up with a lot of crap. I know how to take grief. I don't take a whole lot of it personally. I think it's different for a little girl than it is for a little boy. And I know my wife worries about it, Yeah, but she, you know, she had an instance in kindergarten one of her classmates came up to her and asked, she goes, your eye looks a little different. What's wrong with it? She goes, nothing. And he kept mm. pressing. Well, what's wrong with your eye? What's wrong with your eye? She goes, it's just how God made me. What's wrong with your face? <laughs> <laughs> and so she, I mean, and and you've met her. She has yeah. just yeah. this this personality that. So sweet. Yeah. And, and you, you take five minutes to meet her. You're not even going to worry about the eye. And it's, yeah. you know, as she's getting older and she's getting longer hair and glasses, there are things. So, yeah, I mean, you always worry about it. I think she was born at a good time because I think our society is less accepting of people who make fun of people who are different. Yeah. Which is a benefit for her. Yeah. Um, I will tell you, too. I mean, she, she's tough. You think about the number of times that she's been in the hospital and been poked and prodded and had surgeries and has to be under anesthesia. So she's a tough kid. And she just, I mean, it is who she is and she's embraced that. And I think that that's one thing that's awesome is it's just who I am. Yeah. And that, and that goes back to one of my favorite sayings, right? Everything that's a curse is also a blessing and everything that's a blessing is also a curse, right? Isn't that the Chinese proverb with... The, I totally stole this from Garth Brooks's uh, oh, documentary oh, one. He what? talks about it in there, and I was like, "God, that's so accurate!" Right? Have, have you Have you heard the the Chinese proverb that kind of goes along with that? No. So, a Chinese farmer was out in his field one day, and his horse ran away. And the city goes, "Oh, you lost your only horse for the farm. This has got to be devastating to you." And he goes, "Well, maybe." Well, the next day. His horse comes back with a herd of wild mustangs, so he now has seven horses. And they're like, oh, you've had this huge blessing. And he goes, well, maybe. And his son's out playing with the horse, and one of the wild mustangs kicks him and breaks his leg. And they go, oh, this is devastating. He goes, well, maybe. The next day, the Chinese officers come through, and they're signing people up for the military. And they're going off to a war that they know they're not going to win, and the casualties have been high, and they skip his son. Because he's got a broken leg. And he says, oh, this is a blessing. And he says, well, maybe. Okay. And the whole point of the story is, is you never know whether something's a blessing or a curse until you get later along in life and see what happened because yeah. of it. And so it's, it, you know, we want to arm her with being a competent, loving individual who also is courageous enough to stand up when someone says what's wrong, but to understand who she is and know this is who I am. And this is how God made me. And everyone loves me because of it or in spite of it. And it doesn't change who I am as a person. Wow. That's, man, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty powerful. So I like to end cap all these shows on, let's go back to 20 year old self, 20 year old <laughs> Jonathan. And I know you would want to tell 20 year old Jonathan like 50,000 things, but if there was only, a small window of a few minutes and you could go back and talk to 20 year old stuff to say, Hey, do or don't do this. If that, if 20 year old Jonathan was going to listen, what would you tell 20 year old Jonathan? Um, I was really worried about not being able to pay for school and to pay to live and go to Texas A&M. Um, and I worked full time while I was there. And so one of the things I would tell myself is you were tired, you worked full time, you were going to school you could have spent a little bit more time studying and you would have been okay. Ultimately, I'm fortunate it didn't affect me, but I wish I would have studied a little bit more in undergrad. I learned that lesson. Unfortunately, I got to repeat it when I went to law school and I busted my butt. And I did very well, but it was a completely different mindset for how I was treating education. And I think part of that was maturity, but I don't think it had to be that way. I could have 
done better and learned a whole lot more while I was an undergrad. Um, work out more. <laughs> I know we hear that. I was in. Hey, I got a Navy SEAL coming here to follow. You can talk to him, man. <laughs> it's, you know what? I rock climbed. I worked out. And then you get stuck in life and you start thinking about work. You're working long hours. You're just not taking care of yourself. Um, I think that I would have told myself, work out more. Yeah. And I think the last thing I would tell myself is to be open to opportunities and failures more. I was so scared to fail. But if I hadn't failed in applying to dental school, I hadn't failed in applying to pharmacy school in the way that it did, I never would have gone to law school. And it's pretty fitting. I'm okay at it. <laughs> you know, it was, it, was a, it was a great fit for me, and it was where I needed to be. And I wouldn't have known that had I not tried these others and failed. The other thing is the opportunities. There are times that people are like, oh, that's weird. Oh, I don't want to do that. Or I've had some of the greatest adventures by just being like, all right, let's go. You know, I met you. Just like a good lawyer you are, I asked for one and you snuck in more. <laughs> okay, so people want to learn more about you, what you do, how do they get in touch with you, where do they go, LinkedIn, phone number, email, website, where? So uh, right now the best is, is either just to email me um, if it's law. My law email is jberry at jdberrylaw.com. Okay. Okay, and... If it's for insurance, my insurance, um, Covenant Insurance Solutions is the name of my insurance firm. And it's jberry at covenantinsol.com. So there's two S's right in the middle there. Um, and then otherwise, if you see a guy in a bow tie walking around downtown Fort Worth, Cam Mission. that's probably me. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and thank you for taking care of my life insurance. And for the audience out there, if you were driving and didn't have a chance to write all this down, that's always easy. Go to our uh, website, myexperiencedrealtor.com. Click on podcast. Scroll down to Jonathan Barry. We'll have all the links and everything else for you all to be able to get in touch with him. And then naturally, if you want to buy and sell real estate anywhere on the planet and need some help there, go to the homepage click find a trusted professional. Jonathan, thank you for coming in. Thank you, sir.